Hey, this is Chad Brown. Thanks for checking out Chad and Nate On Demand, presented by SCL Mortgage, the home of MySpecialMortgage.com. Denver Sports Station 104.3 The Fan presents Chad and Nate. Happy Thursday to you, Chad and Nate. Nate is out uh, doing the uh, the bro fantasy football thing, broing it up. The bro fantasy football thing. You know when bros get together and pick their fantasy teams. Okay, doesn't everybody just do it online now, and it takes like an hour? Not in this case. Okay. Yeah. All right. Hey, I mean it's a good opportunity for me. I get to come in here and you know banter with you for two hours. Yes, that voice you hear—that's James Merrillat filling in for Nate Jackson. Um, I was thinking about this today. Uh, you are a uh, contrarian of sorts, my friend. I've heard that. On occasion. And it's not intentional. I don't set out to be. Okay. So I want to... Some people, threads of their personality exist in every part of their life. Okay. Um, and other people are able to segment things. They're, you know, only a contrarian about this, or they're only particular about this, but other than that, they're pretty laid back and, and easygoing. Um, speaking of easygoing, uh, Richie Carney has shown up and decided today is the day to clean the studio Right in the first three minutes before our show, it's. <laughs> but he's got a very bright and colorful and just happy shirt on, so it makes it fine. It's a whirlwind of activity as we're trying to get into our <laughs> space to do the show, but the studio is now much cleaner, so we appreciate Richie for that. Um, do you wake up in the morning and your kids are like, you know, good morning, Dad, and you say it's not a good morning because the contrarian just can't help it? How, where does the contrarian end and begin? Where does that happen? Uh, you know what? I don't know that I'm that extreme. But this is pretty much how I am in all walks of life. Okay. Yeah, whether I'm, you know, working uh-huh. on the air, writing, whether I'm coaching, whether I'm... That was a know. good practice, but hey, number 12, you suck today. <laughs> no, maybe not that harsh. <laughs> not calling out one kid in particular, but uh, but yeah, like it's, it's a little bit of a perfectionism thing. Okay. Like I like things to be a certain way, okay. and when they're not that way... It bothers me, and I point it out, and, you know, you strive to get to that. So, uh, you know, I think that's probably where it comes from. So, yeah, th- this this trickles into all walks of my life. Okay. How does your, how does your wife uh, handle all this? Since it not just is for on-air consumption, this is who you are 24-7. Uh, you know what? I think 18 years in, it's this, I'm not going to change. I think that I think that realization is set in. Does she does she roll her eyes? What the, oh, probably not in front of you. <laughs> I, I don't know. Sometimes you just get like you know you kind of get in your zone uh-huh. and you don't really notice people's reaction to you. <laughs> <laughs> so you're one of those so a little bit. So your 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 personal antenna and radar for other people's feelings slash reactions to to you. Um, and I say this all in the most loving, jestful. Uh, uh, bro love kind of way uh it's not really your antenna don't go out very far you you get into a james uh thought process and you're not you're not reading the room necessarily it's still your focus is on i got something to say here yeah i can't let anything go okay right so like when when i'm driving so today is the first day of school for my kids uh-huh the drop-off lane and people's inability to do the drop-off lane correctly <laughs> drives me crazy. It drives me crazy. Uh-huh. Um, you know, if I'm at a uh, one of my kids' games, 
just calls that are awful, I have a hard time just dealing with that. Okay. Like, I just can't let things roll off my back. doesn't matter what the situation Mm -hmm. is, where we're at. We could be playing a board game. If, you know, somebody's not following the rules, it drives me nuts. Like, there's a right way and a wrong way to do things. Okay. I don't have a – there's no gray area for me. Everything is very black and white. Okay. Um, I decided a long time ago that I would be a different person when I crossed the stripes of a football field. Um, that, uh, that is understandable. That's a whole different realm though. <laughs> it is. So I decided that that's how I'm going to operate. When I crossed those stripes, either going on the field or coming off the field, there was a switch that was flipped. Um, because I thought, you know, do you remember the Reebok commercials with terrible Terry Tate, the yeah. office linebacker? Yeah. Literally the greatest sports commercials of all time. Hysterical. Um, I was not a Reebok athlete. But I had to contact uh, some of my teammates, Reebok reps. I was like, I need all those. I need the DVDs. I need everything, every piece of terrible Terry Tate material you guys have because this is the greatest sports commercial of all time. For those who listeners who aren't aware, uh, literally it was a, a almost a version of The Office in some ways, but terrible Terry Tate was the office linebacker, and he was blasting people in the office when their TPS forms weren't right, when they didn't put – more coffee in the in the coffee pot when they ate someone's sandwich in the refrigerator. So all those office faux pas and office things that we deal with every day as part of an office community, you got blasted by the office linebacker for making a mistake. I realized that was not a way to live life. I could not be the life linebacker. So I left that part of Chad on the field, and I tried to walk a uh, very humbler, softer path. Well... Of- which I think is a good decision on your part. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> but look, I've only stood on the sidelines of an NFL game, uh-huh. and you got to be you got to be wired different to step out there. Like that is a that is a whole different world. It is, and I, I don't know that taking that mentality into the regular <laughs> world would be very healthy. So that was probably a good decision on your part. Okay, that's a tough switch to flip, and I don't think that. Every football player has that ability to flip that switch and just say, okay, now I can turn it off when I'm away from the game. That's uh, that's pretty well adjusted on your part. Thank you. Now, it would, it would spill over occasionally as June turned into July and the training camp feeling would come. You know, I'm on vacation. I'm playing ping pong with my wife, and she's like, whoa, whoa, Mr. Slam it. We're not having fun anymore. Right. So I'm sorry. I'm getting close to training camp football mode and just can't help it. Um, but for outside of some circumstances such as that, I've tried to keep the the, the on the field chat as far away from the off the field chat as possible. No, that's that, that, that's that's a good way to approach it. Um, and you know, like I'm not a I'm not a yeller and a screamer when I coach, uh-huh. and with my kids, right. I'm not that way when they play sports. Like I'm not super demanding of them, and if they don't have a great game, I'm you know it's ruining the day. Like I'm not that guy at all. Uh, you know, the, the sport parent, quote unquote, um, they're just the, little, it's the, the things in life that, you know, they are supposed to be a certain way. You're supposed to drive the speed limit. You're supposed to be in the right lane. If you're wanting to drive a little slow, you shouldn't be in the far left lane. It's those kind of things that drive me crazy. You translate that over to sports. It's Vic Fangio's inability to manage a clock drives me crazy. It's, you know, the the CSU folks deciding they want to, you know, let their personal feelings being hurt be ahead of the program. That drives me crazy, and I can't ignore them. I can't just let it go. I have to 
point it out, whether it's on the air, in writing, Twitter, whatever the case may be. This is why we love you. And I appreciate that. This is why we love you. Uh, from the 720, uh, the TPS forms were in the movie Office Space, not, not in the Office sitcom. They were TPS forms were part of the terrible Terry Tate Reebok commercials. I'm sorry to make that distinction. Uh, the pain train is coming. Whoop, whoop. That was a t- uh, yep. triple T line. Terrible and he Terry would just Tate. stand over people and he had that like woo that he would do after he hit people. Oh, Those absolutely. Are great commercials. Yeah. That's a good YouTube wormhole to go down or rabbit hole to go down. There's like six different ones. Yeah. Only one was aired during the Super Bowl. But there's like six different ones that are very long and extended. Uh, Terry gets too stressed at the office. They send him on a vacation. So he does triple T stuff on yep. vacation because the hotel staff is not doing things properly. Very James Mary Laddish, probably. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, there we go. It all comes full circle. So you are kind of the office linebacker. There we go. We've established a connection between <laughs> James and terrible Terry Tate. Triple T, as they say in those Reebok commercials. Uh, when we come back, there was a presser yesterday. Melvin Gordon had some things to say about the running back room and the stacking order up in that room. We'll dive into that next. It's Chad and Nate on Denver Sports Station, 1043 The Fan. Man, uh, I think, to be honest, I think they kind of have a plan of what they what they want kind of heading in. Um, but I, as far as the rotation go, I, I really don't know. I think they, they want Vonce probably to be the guy. You know, but we, we do rotate. He'll take the first series, and then the second series with the ones I'll take. Uh, sometimes we switch, but uh, you know, you know, it's just you know, you, you kind of know what it is if you've been out here. Uh, but I don't know how they're gonna do the rotation. Um, you know, I got to go back and look at how how they kind of did things in Green Bay uh, with the carries and things like that. But uh, I'm not sure. Uh, you know, my mindset is just kind of just go out here and. And uh, just compete, go hard as I can. Um, you know, I kind of don't know what the future holds as far as with that. But, uh, you know, I just kind of want to put my best foot forward. So, you know, when I do go out there, they be like, okay, you know, we need to get them out here, out here more. I know I got the game. I know I, could, I know I could play. I know I still got the juice, man. Um, but we'll, we'll, we'll see, man. I, I really don't know. I really don't know. Melvin Gordon, uh, apparently he really does not know. Um, I don't believe that. Um, I think he does not know how to articulate his feelings about this. I think that's what he does not know. I think he does know that Javante is the starter. I think he does know what the plan for the rotation is going to be, even if they have not said it directly to him. I also think that it's very, very, very difficult for an athlete with tr- with tremendous pride and ego about what he does and what he puts out there on the field to admit such a thing. So that's the difficult part. Yes, I think we all know what the writing on the wall has said since last season. I think it's pretty clear. What say you, James Merrillat? I uh, I don't think he does know. I, well, I agree with you that he doesn't know how to articulate it in from the standpoint of I don't think he wants – he's trying not to say the wrong thing here, right? Because I think he thinks he's good enough to be the starter. Yep. I think he wants to be the starter. Yep. All of which is fine, right? I think we'd be questioning if if, if he didn't have that mindset – and he doesn't want to say something that comes across as divisive, not being a team guy, being anti-Javante Williams, yep. whatever the case may be. So I think he's clearly trying to sidestep and tiptoe around things and not say the wrong thing. I do think, though, you know, he talked about how, hey, we're both taking reps with the ones, and sometimes I even get to go first. Like, I think he's still holding out hope that he's the guy. And I'm not convinced that on the first play in Seattle – when Lumen Field is rocking, that it's not 
Melvin Gordon in the backfield standing next to Russell Wilson or behind Russell Wilson. I, I just think from a trust standpoint, who does Russell Wilson trust? Who does the coaching staff trust in that situation on the road? I think if their opener was Houston here, I think it's Jamate Williams, and I think he's going to be back there. I do think on the road you may go with the veteran, and he may be the guy. I think this is going to be the 50-50 split we saw a year ago. Now, is it going to be exactly 203 and 203 like it was in 2021? Maybe not, but I certainly don't think this is going to be 80-20, 75-25, anything like that. I think Melvin Gordon's going to play a big role in this offense. I will agree with the last part. Melvin Gordon will play a big role. Um, and I would say it is certainly possible at the end of the season that there is a 50-50 split. But going into the season, uh, Nathaniel Hackett, uh, Coach Alden, they uh, Javante Williams will get more opportunities for more carries. After, how well that goes, how long that is sustained, how that – how consistent that thinking remains is going to be up to the success on the field. But here to start the season, you don't have somebody who's basically the starter who gets the first reps all throughout training camp. Yes, you know, there's an occasional switch off. Does the other guy get some reps? Of course he does. That's how it works. Um, But with the lay of the land as far as reps, opportunities, all that Javante Williams has been the starter all throughout training camp. He's gotten the first reps with the ones. Yes. But my guess is in Indianapolis, Jonathan Taylor isn't splitting reps with the ones with somebody else. No. No, this is is going to be a backfield by committee, but Javante is the starter. Most games. I think you're right. I think there are situations, though, where it's, okay, who's the better back for this situation? And I think the situation being week one in Seattle changes the dynamic. I think, again, week two against Houston, it's the Javante Williams show. I just don't know. I think they brought Melvin Gordon back here for a reason. If Javante Williams was the guy, then they would have just said, hey, we got Javante. We got Mike Boone. We'll draft somebody in the fifth round and develop him, and we're good to go. They brought Melvin Gordon back here for a reason, and it wasn't to stand on the sidelines, and it wasn't to get two or three carries a game. I think it was to be what he was a year ago, which is basically the. He wasn't basically the starter last year. He started every game but the one, which was in Kansas City when when he was hurt. Javante started one game. Melvin started sixteen. So I I just I'll believe it when I see it that Javante Williams is the starter and is the feature back in this offense. I'm just not. I'm not buying it. I think they brought Melvin Gordon back for a reason. I think if you're going to bring him back here. And have it be the Javante Williams show, you're just setting yourself up for problems in the locker room and problems in terms of playing time and all those kind of things. Melvin Gordon's not the kind of guy who's just going to be content to get, you know, a handful of carries here and there. I, I, again, I agree with all that. I just think Javante Williams is going to be the number one guy in there. Melvin, uh, Javante Williams is going to get the uh, first opportunity for reps. He will... The opportunity is his to seize until he proves that he is not the guy. Melvin Gordon's a better all-around back. People don't want to hear that, but he is. I, while I would agree with that if we're going to do a video game sliding scale for the 12 different running back skills, mm-hmm. um, at the same time, uh, if you're going to look at the physical style with which Javante Williams runs the football and the effect 
that that has on the defense, the effect that it has on safeties and linebackers, and the opportunity for to use that if you're Nathaniel Hackett to open up space for Russell Wilson in a passing game, it's just simply different. It is just simply different when you have a downhill, more physically uh, gifted runner who runs with that kind of style. There is a very different effect. And so looking at the even share of carries last year, if you're Nathaniel Hackett, uh, you look at that and you go, okay, I, I watched all carries of both guys. Going into this season, this guy, Javante Williams, presents my offense with the best way to uh, influence and affect the defense more than this other guy, despite this other guy's having a more polished overall skill set. Does that I make think, sense? I hear what you're saying. I just don't agree with it. Okay. Like I, and, and I get that you're probably right. outlining what Nathaniel Hackett is thinking, and I, I get that. So I'm wrong and Coach Hackett's wrong is what yeah. you're saying. Uh, yeah, I think so. Because <laughs> right. I, I think Javante right. Williams is a better power back. Now, yes. th- that is an impossible point to argue. Okay. Right? I mean, he led the league in broken tackles and all those kind of things. And I think that can wear down a defense without a doubt. I think that's a good fit if you're a certain style of team, right? Like if you're the Tennessee Titans, that's how you play, right? You mm-hmm. got Derrick Henry and you just want to wear people out and you're trying to win 20 to 17. And in the fourth quarter, it's just you're going to win that physical matchup because you've worn down the opposition. I think in terms of this offense, and it's not exactly what we saw all those years with Shanahan, but to some extent it was. It's a different kind of back that is typically successful in this offense. Terrell Davis is at the top of the heap. Clinton Portis is number two. And it's a it's more of a, a slashing kind of a back, more of a back that, you know, doesn't get caught from behind once he gets into open open space and plants the foot and cuts downhill and and, and away he goes. Javante Williams isn't that type of back. Melvin Gordon is better at those kind of things. I think Melvin Gordon is better is a better fit. For this offense where you need the back to do a lot of different things. If you're not just a power running football team, which Javante would be great at that. I think in this offense, Melvin Gordon's skill set and his versatility and his ability to, you know, you can line him up wide if you want to and just all the different things he can do. I think he's a better fit for this offense. Uh, Wow. Uh, Does he present Coach Hackett with some options for the running back? The ability to be a... More polished receiver than Javante. Yeah, I think that's fairly clear. The The evidence shows that. Um, this outside zone scheme, you can run with power in this scheme. Terrell Davis ran with power through the front seven, and then he shifted into a little bit more open field mode once he got past the, 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 the second wave with the linebackers. Uh, tried to tackle that dude for a number of years when the Seahawks were in the AFC West with the Broncos. So I am well aware of this scheme. Um, all the various backs who can have success in this scheme. Uh, and there's a reason why Terrell Davis was the best because he had the best combination of power, speed, and elusiveness uh, of the long list of guys who had success in this style of offense. But running with power through the first wave of the defensive line, through the second wave of the linebackers, and then shifting it up and you know narrowing your stance, standing a little bit more upright. Now you're shaking a defensive back. You're able to you know, get your one hand on the football, use your stiff arms, all that kind of stuff. That's where Terrell Davis really took it to the next level. But it was power to the front two parts of the defense. You can be successful in this offense playing that way. And, and, and I've, I've used this comparison for a year, and people take it as 
as a knock on Javante Williams, and I think it's a compliment. I think Javante Williams is Mike Anderson. Mike oh, Anderson was no. good in this offense. He was really good in this offense. He was, but he was more of a power guy. And I think the two best in this offense, Clinton Portis was more of a speed guy than a power guy. Right. You're right. Terrell Davis was the best combo, which is why he was the best player in this offense. And I think Melvin Gordon is closer to Clinton Portis, Terrell Davis, and Javante Williams is closer to Mike Anderson and Olandis Gary and those type of players. They can be successful in it. It's how successful do you want to be, and I think Melvin Gordon is the guy that can be a little bit more dynamic in this offense. It's hard to say Orlandis Gary and Mike Anderson, the comparison is a diss because those guys were 1,000-yard backs, um, but it's a little bit of a diss and I think a little bit of a disservice to the skill set that Javante Williams brings versus those examples hey, you just listed If Javante out. Williams has a Mike Anderson-type season – then he he he'll, he will have a great year. Mike Anderson put up some big numbers in this offense. Right. I just think there's a slightly better uh, and more explosive skill set uh, than what Mike brought. And I tackled Mike. Mike was a very, very good player. The Fan War Room preseason special. Uh, today from noon to 2 at Brothers Barbecue off I-25 in Arapahoe. Stop by see Zach lead the crew of Orlando, Noshan, James, and Cecil. Uh, when we come back, um, are the starters going to get any run this Saturday? Out there in Buffalo, we'll dive into that next. But first, uh, Spilly's going to fill us in on how the Rockies fared yesterday. You're listening to Chad and Nate on Denver's Sports Station, 104.3 The Fan. You know me. I don't like the preseason. I mean, that's just uh, that's just my philosophy, my upbringing. Um, just seeing all the different things that I've seen in the past. There's always that risk-reward. And, uh, you know, I, I think we'd all sit here and say, sure, we want the guys to go out there and, and do good and get reps and stuff like that. But, uh, you know, I mean, in the end, we want to be smart with the guys. It's a 17-game season. Coach Hackett breaking down uh, his preseason thoughts. Um, number one, I don't like the preseason. Um, I know, I'm sure it's true. Um, I'm sure players who have to go out there and play in the preseason don't like their coach saying that. It's a bit of an odd motivating uh, phrase. Um, Go out there and play great. I don't even like this whole process. It's honest, though. I appreciate the the honesty. The players don't like the preseason either. I mean, the guys who are trying to earn a spot on the team probably enjoy the Josh Johnson enjoyed last Saturday night. I have but, no doubt about that. But the guys who didn't have to play didn't mind that they didn't have to play. Uh, okay. Uh, I think a majority of players would like to get some preseason action. If you could have skipped every preseason game, you wouldn't have wanted that? No. Really? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. I just – I think it, it, I think it's one of those things where, hey, I – especially as you're, you've been in the league a while and you're a veteran and you know what's going on. It's like the extra wear and tear and the being out there and having the chance of having, you know, Timmy Tryhard who's trying to make the roster <laughs> roll up on you and now your season well, just, is over on August 17th or whatever the game day is. It's like, no, I'll just stand over here and eat popcorn. I'm good. Now, I wanted to get in and get out. That, okay. That third preseason game – where we came out after halftime and played the first series or two of the second half. That was the old style that, you know, that was yeah. kind of league standard. Started plays one or two series game one. 
you played most of the first half in game two. And then game three, you had to learn how to come out after halftime, ramp yourself back <laughs> right, up. Right. And so that's silly. That was that was ridiculous and silly. I did not like that part of it. Just give me a couple of series. Let me get some full speed action because even no matter how difficult and physical a practice is outside of maybe some of those bloodbath practices I had in Pittsburgh early in my career, um, that was never enough for me to be fully dialed in. Inevitably, somewhere in the preseason, uh, as I was honing my technique, you know, I would go to hit somebody and I would, you know, put my hand on somebody's helmet and then go hit him with my helmet. I would smash my own hand just because I didn't have all the little intricacies down. I didn't have my hand placement down. I didn't wasn't dipping my shoulder low enough. I wasn't bending my hips right. I didn't get enough knee bend. Therefore, I got out leveraged. So all those little things that you cannot replicate in a practice unless it's a full speed practice, the preseason gave me an opportunity to work those kinks out so I could literally hit the ground running in week one. There were a couple of years where I was injured and I had limited preseason action. And I remember going into the first game having a feeling of uncertainty um, about my conditioning, about my uh, you know mental blueprint knowledge of the defense. And uh, also about those little kind of technique things I was talking about right there. So uh, for me, I absolutely needed action in the preseason to be ready to play week one full speed 100%. I'm not going to argue that there is a benefit in playing. There certainly is. But I think the benefit is relatively small. This game is 23 days before the opener. Yeah. So, you know, I think whatever rust you knock off, can be right back on there in 23 days. That's a long time. So, but but there is a benefit. I, I I can see that. However, the risk of it is so much bigger and so much more. And your season can go up in smoke if one or two or three or four guys, especially if they're the wrong guys, get injured. That it's just not worth it. It's not worth the gamble. I would rather go up on September 12th in Seattle, and the first series is a little ugly. The first quarter is a little ugly. Uh, heck, even if you lose the game, but you have everybody for the whole season and you don't lose somebody on August 19th, I just think it, I think that is the, the prudent way to go. I think it makes more sense, and I think it is, again, from a risk-reward standpoint, and that was the phrase Coach Hackett used, I think that's the right decision. I think the Bills putting their starters out there, imagine if Josh Allen gets injured on Saturday. What a complete and utter waste. You are the Super Bowl favorites in the AFC. And I don't even know who's their, who's their backup in, in Buffalo. I don't even Case know who Keenum. they're. Okay, so, okay, here's your 2022 season with Case Keenum. What an absolute disaster and waste that would be. It's just not worth the risk. It's not. Keenum, there's the interception. I mean, they go from a team that's going to win 13, 14 games, Mm -hmm. compete for the Super Bowl, potentially have home field advantage in the playoffs, potentially be the number one seed, to a team that would be lucky to win eight games. Uh, I'm with you on the risk-reward ratio. Um, Now, in our case, no, Josh Allen has proven to be incredibly durable. Russell Wilson uh, has a great skill set of avoiding danger. Um, The one time he's missed a game is a finger injury. Um, which, you know, almost every quarterback at some point in their career bangs a thumb or finger on a helmet and, and gets this. So um, that could have happened anytime. That could happen in practice, in all honesty. Yes. Some idiot defensive lineman, some it's rookie too gets close. too close to the quarterback. <laughs> I've seen it happen. 
and I've seen that idiot defensive lineman be kicked off the practice field immediately. <laughs> yeah. Just go in. You're done for the day. Just go. Oh, come on, man. Stay away from the quarterback, Rook. Um, the football game of inches aspect. You saying this team needs to be 8-3. and three. The thought that you can just drop the game in Seattle – uh, because this preseason risk-reward ratio is off for you. Marry those all up for me. Football is a game of inches. There's going to be, on a given week, there's 10-plus games that are decided by three points or less. Mm-hmm. Um, or maybe not 10, but seven games each week are decided by three points or less. Uh, how many games are won or lost literally by an inch or two? Many, many, many. A play or two. Yes. So the prospect of not getting your brand-new head coach – your brand-new coordinators, your brand-new quarterback, all those operating at least at a decent level of comfort. It doesn't have to be 100%, but a decent level of comfort going into Monday night in Seattle with just, you know, well, I guess we'll just figure it out as we go along and we'll get better. And, you know, it took Peyton Manning and the Broncos almost five weeks to get that thing together. If that's going to be the process here, you're going to sacrifice inches, plays, and possibly games in that process. I think you. I don't think the approach has to be, "Hey, we'll just figure it out as we go along." I think you can get all that stuff pretty well dialed in, in in practice and in meetings and in walkthroughs and jogthroughs and all those kind of things. I don't think you just have to wing it. And I also think, though, like in, in terms of me saying, "Hey, if you lose week one, that's that's I'm willing to do that." Yeah, in order to keep okay. everybody safe. Yeah, or healthy. You're willing to well, sacrifice that game. Look at the Packers last year. They lose 38 to three in the opener to the Saints, mm-hmm. and they wind up going 13 and four and being the number one seed in the NFC. It's just to some extent, week one. It's why week one's a crapshoot. It's why the Jags win week one and finish one and fifteen a couple of years ago. It, it, it you never know what's going to happen. Week one is a bit of a crapshoot. It's a bit of a coin flip. Doesn't matter who you're playing and where you're playing them. So I, I just am not going to risk my entire season to. Make sure, and I don't even think you make sure. I don't know that a, a quarter of play in Buffalo or a quarter of play against the Vikings is going to ensure that you're ready to go week one. If it did, if that would 100% ensure it, okay, then we have a, a different argument. I think it would make an incremental improvement. Mm-hmm. But if right now I'm saying, hey, I'm, I'm 50% confident that Broncos are going to be 100% ready to go week one. Playing in Buffalo makes them 54%. Likely to be ready to go. I, I'm not willing for that incremental jump. If you could tell me it was 100%, okay, I'm just not buying that. Nothing in life is 100%, as we know. Uh, a plane could fall out the sky onto the studio in the next 10 minutes. That's nothing in life is guaranteed. I can't offer you that. But I can tell you, based on my experience, based on my, my own personal experience, based on uh, other teammates' conversations, based on all of that, uh, the preseason action, uh, particularly for a newly formed uh, team, as we'll call this, with all the new pieces here, um, that even becomes more important. So the preseason action, uh, if it is incremental, maybe the effect is doubled when you have all the new pieces that are all trying to come together here. You're a football player. You want to play. My job, if I'm the head coach or the GM or whatever, is to some extent to protect yourself, yourself from yourself. Mm-hmm. You need to be ready. I need Chad Brown out there 100% healthy week one, not on August 19th in Buffalo. 
Okay. And the tyranny of the urgent versus the important comes up here. It's urgent that we get ourselves ready. It's important that we're healthy. That's the line we're talking about here. This is the the conversation that Coach Hackett and George Payton and, and their staffs are having right now about how do we handle that. Heck, even going into this game against Buffalo, you mentioned 23 days away from the opener against Seattle, uh, how do we handle putting certain guys on the field? So when we come back, the tyranny of the urgent versus the important. That's next. Denver Sports Station 104.3 The Fan presents Chad and Nate. James Merrillat filling in for Nate Jackson. Uh, Nate is out doing the bro fantasy football draft with his bros. Good for him. I like it. It's old school. Yeah, to actually physically physically get together. Not Zoom, not uh, Ring Central or any other video app. Nope. Old school, in person. Yeah, well, and I was telling you during a break, this is the 35th year of my fantasy football league. Which is amazing. And in- I had no idea it was had been around that long. Uh, because I don't play fantasy football. We were early adopters. Uh-huh. I used to get up every Monday morning and get out the Denver Post and do the scores by hand. What's the Denver Post? Is that what? what was, what's that? <laughs> Might have been the Rocky Mountain News even back oh, then okay. that I was using. I'm well, not even, sure. Wow, even further flashback. Um, and that was you know an arduous task, but it was you know kind of my routine. But we used to all get together for the draft, and it was cool. You know, we'd see everybody, and you know, you'd give each other a hard time right. and the trash talk. And then now that it's so much easier to just do it on a computer, and then, you know, one guy lives in Philly and another guy lives in this place, and it, you just do it, you know, remotely now, I kind of miss the days of getting together with the group and trash-talking a bit and having that fun. So good for, good for Nate to do it old school. You know, uh, Nate is uh, <laughs> my partner, and I, I dig the heck out of him, um, but he's got a way of uh, trying to be old school almost all – not, not that he's adverse to technology – um, technology has a place in Nate's life, but at the same time, if I could do something real and visceral versus uh, relying on some kind of you know false technology experience, he's going to choose real and visceral every time. So for when he said he was going to get together and do this with his boys, I was like, that fits who you are perfectly. Yep. Right on. Yep. Enjoy that. That's a good. That's actually a pretty good mindset. We could we could all take a little page from that. Yeah, yeah. Put the phone down. Do some uh, real FaceTime, not yeah. uh, virtual FaceTime. Some actual conversation. Yes. All right, so before we uh, went to break, I threw out the phrase that apparently you had never heard before, the tyranny yeah. of the urgent versus the important. Okay, now th- th- I'm, you know, like you, I'm a CU grad. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, well, no, well, unlike, I- unlike me, you've actually graduated. I haven't. Oh, really? I am eight credits short. That would take you, like, you know, a partial semester. Yeah, I, I've re-enrolled twice, and... The first time uh, I got a back injury, and I was like, oh, man, I'm not going to be able to drive up to Boulder and sit in class. So I had to, Is that three classes you'd have to take? Classes are typically three credits. Yeah. So three classes, and I'm good. You, can't you do them online now? I want to go to back on campus. I want to, like, re, re, I want to finish up right. I don't want to do it at home, remote. I want to go on campus, wear the backpack, maybe if I find my old <laughs> mountain bike. You know what are the classes like? Are they for your major? I assume they you're be at the end upper level sociology classes. Okay, um, and one of the classes that I, I both times when I re enrolled was uh, animals in society, which obviously as an animal person would be yeah. right at my wheelhouse. Yeah, uh, the other two 
uh, you know, the, the, the class schedules vary from, you know, from semester to semester. So I'm not exactly sure what they would be. But I think animals in society is offered almost every single semester. So I know that would pr- most likely be one of them when I go back and get this done. Well, I mean, it hasn't hurt your uh, career any to not have it. To, yeah, to it hurts my mom's feelings. I can see that. Uh, cause, I can know, see that. Because my mom and dad, sh- they, I walked. I wore the cap. I had the gown. I had the whole shebang of banquet because I was, was going to go back and get it yeah. done. And the okay. chance for me to walk with all my teammates and classmates and everyone else who I came in with, I was like, oh, I'm only eight credits short. I'll go back and get this done. So, yeah, mom and dad, come so, on out. So I have the piece of paper and didn't walk. You don't have the piece of paper and did walk. Heck, yeah, I walked. All right. But either way, we're both CU guys. I like right. to think, okay, I can wrap my head around, you know, Semi-complicated concepts, but you're going to have to explain this this saying to me. All right, so it's the balance. We all are faced with this uh, from time to time of the urgent, something that needs to be handled right away. Right. Versus the important, which is a little bit more of a long-term outlook. It's important okay. that we do this stuff. So this is kind of the, the reframing of this preseason conversation. I tilt my scale towards the urgent. It is urgent that we get ourselves ready for Seattle, for for the opening game of the season. That is is the first thing that's out there. Therefore, it's urgent for us to get that done. And how do we do that? We play our guys in the preseason. You are tipping your scales towards the important. It's important that we're healthy. It's important that we think a little bit more long-term. It's important that we understand the risk of playing somebody in the preseason who – we are counting on to have a integral part of our team this year. So how do you balance those scales of the urgent versus the important? Every coach is trying to figure this out right now because I don't think there's – outside of uh, maybe Sean McVay, who seems pretty well sold on his system, um, I think all coaches outside of him maybe struggle with this. And it's it's a I can see the the struggle in any walk of life, right? Like if you're running a Fortune 500 company, the urgent is we got to hit our quarterly earnings, right? That's what the stockholders are going to be looking at. The important is, well, what's the right decision for the long term health of this business, right? right? Like your blockbuster video, you're staying with those video sales because you got to <laughs> hit your quarterly earnings. You might want to transition to streaming and some other things if you want to be in business in five years, right? That that's the balance if you're if you're running a business. I think last year, though, we saw an example of they focused on the urgent. What was the conversation going into last season? Vic Fangio's 0-7 in September. He's mm-hmm. got to win in September, especially when you look at the fact that they were playing, what, the Giants, the Jags, and the Jets mm-hmm. out of the gate. So they're playing guys in the preseason, the final preseason game of the uh, of the year against the Rams. Bradley Chubb's out on the field. He's got to be ready to go for week one in, 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 at, at the Giants. That's just so important. And he re-aggravates the ankle. And he was never right the entire season. They put the urgent, we got to win in September, over the important of we got to make sure we roll out there week one and our guys are healthy and, you know, we don't have a key a key player, a key member of the roster that's going to be fighting a nagging injury because he got hurt in a meaningless game two weeks before the opener because Vic Fangio had to win in September. I think the urgent oftentimes, because it's the tyranny of the urgent over the important, right? I think the ur- versus versus. Okay. So you would, I would like to see balance. And when once it gets unbalanced there and you lean too heavily on one or the other, then you start making decisions that don't address either one effectively. Which, which I get, and that can be a problem. 
I think, though, if you're the general manager, you have to have a, a big, a more of an important view than an urgent view. Mm-hmm. I think the head coach tends to be more of the urgent view. Right? It's all about this week. We got to win this week. It's just, it was the same argument about the the quarterback battle a year ago. Right? Like I get why Vic Fangio went with Teddy Bridgewater. He had to win in September. George Payton should have said, "No, we're going with Drew Locke because we need to see if we have a long term answer here." Now maybe they knew that they didn't have a long term answer. They probably did. But again, it was it was very short sighted. Urgent tends to me to be a short sighted viewpoint versus important is taking the long view. I think you're better served taking the long view more often than not. It all depends on situation. Obviously, Coach Fangio was knewing knew that he was on the hot seat. So the fast start was important not just for the psyche of the football team, which, you know, was struggling so to win all the preseason games. And then to try to win early against particularly those that level of opponents was important for the psyche of the football team. But he had to keep his job. If he had lost and done poorly in the preseason and then lost one or two of those first games, he might have been fired. So that but, he, but he lost his job anyway. He did. He did. But at least he went down swinging and tried to address, you know, I don't want to get fired in the first quarter of the season. At least he made it past that. So I think literally his view became so urgent he lost – side of the long term, but his situation dictated that he had to go in that in that thinking. So he took the Brandon Staley approach. If we're going to lose, at least we're going to lose like men, right? <laughs> we're going to lose our way. If I'm no. going to get fired, I'm going to get fired my way. I think Coach Fangio was willing to rob next week or next month for this week and this month. Without a doubt. Yes. Without a doubt. And so, I, I don't know that that was in the – certainly wasn't in the best interest of Bradley Chubb. It was not. If, but if we're Coach just Fangio looking, and his staff – they wanted to keep their jobs. Yeah, I know, and I get it. And I, and, but I, to me, that was the mistake, right? They, they put the we're trying to save our jobs. We got to win in September over the health of their players heading into the season to the point where they rushed Bradley Chubb out there in a meaningless preseason game, and then he was never right the entire year, and he had zero sacks in the 2021 season. That to me is a prime example of why you ought to just sit, guys and put them on the shelf and save them for the opener. Because, again, if something happens to Josh Allen on Saturday, there's not a person in Buffalo that's going to say, yeah, but, boy, they had to get him ready for that opener. They just they had to get him ready for that opener. <laughs> Certain guys, I understand. Uh, potential MVP candidates, yeah, there's a certain scariness to all that. Same time, Patrick Mahomes played. He did, and you're holding your breath the entire time. Steelers, if you're Andy Reid. Steelers, every time they put on shoulder, they put on pads in practice. They have full full speed tackling every single time. There's a there's a number of different ways to go about it, right? Like that's one of the best things about football is there's infinite number of ways to to win, right? There's almost an infinite number of ways to prepare. There is no right answer or wrong answer. The Rams do it this way, and they won the Super Bowl. So it's like you can make an argument on either side. I just am going to err on the side of caution if I'm running the team. All right. Uh, sounds like you are putting a stamp on Baron Browning that may be a, a little too lofty, my man. we got to talk about your comparison. That's next. Hey, this is Nate Jackson. Thanks for checking out Chad and Nate On Demand, presented by SCL Mortgage, the home of mypecialmortgage.com.